Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Sam, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So, you know, I have come across you by way uh, of your show Off Camera, which is probably one of the only interview-based podcasts that I actually listen to. Ironically, despite being somebody who produces a show, I don't listen to many of them. But um, your whole style of storytelling to me was so intriguing and so compelling that uh, I you know, wanted to reach out to you and find out how this all comes together. So on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your story, your journey, your background, and how that has brought you to everything that you're up to in the world today? Well, uh, as you may know, I started as a photographer Mm -hmm. and uh, did that for a long time editorially. I I actually started out as a photojournalist and I, I did that for a few years and then found more of editorial portraiture, magazine portraiture, and uh, worked for all the big magazines, um, Vanity Fair, Rolling Stone, Esquire, Time, GQ, all those magazines, doing portraits, and, uh, and then started making, um, started making the move to directing. In around 2000, I made a, a f- documentary about uh, Wilco, and I directed some music videos and commercials and other some other film projects um, and, and while remaining a photographer and uh, about three years ago uh, started thinking about you know how a portrait could be more expansive um, and and how to really take a look at someone's creative process and incorporate that into a portrait of them and you know with all my interests music and film and photography and conversation and interviews i wanted to see if i can make sort of the ultimate living black and white portrait of a person mm-hmm. and that's where off camera came about and funny enough also with all the changing technology over the last few years and the invention of mobile and the iPad and the iPhone and all that stuff, I found myself um, kind of getting content in a lot of different ways. And sometimes I like to read. Like if I'm on an airplane and I want to read magazines or books. or But in bed, I often read on my iPad so that the light doesn't bother my wife. And so I started doing a lot of stuff on the iPad and then um, – uh, I also started uh, being able to watch more things just you know through YouTube and uh, iTunes and everything and and I realized that that there's a place for content to be uh, 
across multi-platforms and that, and that there's a different thing that you can get as a listener or as a viewer or as a reader out of a conversation. And so I just had this idea that I would start this experiment and see if, you know, off camera could be like some of my favorite podcasts and also like some of the television uh, interviews that I loved as a kid, you know, and, and then also as a long form readable story, uh, not unlike the Rolling Stone interviews that were so great in the seventies and eighties. And, um, so, so that was the impetus for it. And it, it really was an experiment and an opportunity to just talk with people that I admire and have long conversations with people that I thought I could learn something from. Mm. So, you know what, I, I really want to get to sort of the journey before the journey, which I, which I always like to do, and talk a bit sort of about your childhood influences and the things that actually led to you becoming a photojournalist and kind of molding moments that brought you to that point in your life. Uh, well, two, you know, two big influences on me growing up were skateboarding and music. I grew up in Fullerton, California, and... Fullerton is also the home of the Fender Guitar Factory, and it also, it, you know, there's six or seven swimming pools on every block because it's in Southern California. So I grew up uh, going to skate parks and empty backyard pools and building ramps and playing in bands and scouring the pawn shops for guitars and even in one case dumpster diving at the Fender factory and building my own guitar out of out of damaged parts. So I think that from a very early age, my whole neighborhood and, my, and all my friends, we all were very into making things and, and filling up our time with, um, you know, uh, this was pre-video games or even even pre-television being great in the day. There was, you know, a soap opera or two. So there wasn't much to do if you didn't go out and do it yourself. And and so, you know, as a kid, I had a zine. I had a skateboarding zine. I had, um, I was in a band. I was, uh, we made skateboards. Like we got blank decks and we designed our own graphics. And, um, and I think that my whole life, I really enjoy the process of making things and creating um, a larger experience out of whatever passion I'm enjoying in the moment. You know, as a kid, I never could sit on one thing and say, this is my thing. You know, I watched some kids become really good baseball players or really good piano players or whatever. And, and with me, it was something different every week. I loved building models. I loved, um, I loved snakes. <laughs> I had a bunch of snakes. I, I loved, uh, bike racing. Um, I loved, like I said, skateboarding and writing music and punk rock and all those things. And so I just, I just wanted to go as deep into those passions as I could. And I think that also led to the journalism background I have because I, I started writing at a pretty young age and, you know, wanted to share those experiences through words as well. So I think the biggest influence for me as, as a kid in terms of how it relates to what I do now is that I know that if I go deep into a project that interests me, I, that's where I get the most satisfaction out of life. Hmm. So, you know, I think that the thing that really struck me there that you said was this idea of sort of creating a larger experience out of whatever it is that you're working on in the moment. And, 
I can see that now that you know I, I'm getting to know your work a little bit better, and I'm wondering how people do that in their own work, and you know what kind of guidance you might have for other creatives in sort of incorporating that into their own lives. Well, I think it always has to start with a genuine desire to do something. You know, my whole life has been a push pull between responsibility and having fun. I have a very responsible, uh, hardworking fifties man father and a very hardworking mom. And I sometimes would struggle with the things I was really enjoying and wanting to do were at the expense of the homework and the chores and everything I was supposed to do. And that's been a struggle my whole adult life is, um, are the things that are really fun for me, do they count as work and do they count as something that are worthy of my time? And, and, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I also really love motorcycles and, uh, I did some pretty serious motocross riding for many years. And for a while I had a house up in the local mountains near, uh, Los Angeles and I would go up on the weekends and I would, uh, bomb the trails and, and then on Sundays go to the track and do some racing. And the only gas station in town was also a video rental house and an amateur radio station. (laughs) And so by about, by about the fourth or fifth week of living there, I went to the guy who ran the radio station and the gas station and the video store. And I asked if I could, um, have my own two hour radio show up there just for fun. Cause I always wanted to be a radio host. So I started, I had a home studio in Los Angeles, uh, that I recorded music in and played in my band and produced records for other people. And so I would go in there and make, I made a show called sweetheart of the radio. And it was about an hour and a half of playing songs that I liked and talking about them and their connections to each other. And then a half hour of a performance and, it was kind of whoever I could get that I was close to at the time to come in and do a live performance and talk about music. And I loved it. And I loved it so much that I would find myself during the week spending so many hours on this show that I'm, I'm sure like 60 people heard (laughs) every week. Um, and, and I would always struggle with, you know, what am I doing? I'm sitting here working on this radio show that no one is listening to instead of, furthering my career as a photographer and a director. But I've always had that push and pull. And I think that, you know, the long-winded answer to your question is, if you don't have that gut desire to want to do something that makes you forget about eating and it makes you forget about, you know, the plans you were supposed to have with a friend and, and you know, the hours just fly by, then you're probably not going to be that successful at it. Because creativity, I think, at, at its heart, the definition of the word creativity is very close to the definition of the, of the word desire or impulse, to me at least. And it should come from that place of, of pure joy and, and pure excitement from, from creating something. So I, I think it's one of those things where a lot of people can look at a creative career and say, I want that. Mm-hmm. But if they don't have that spark or that impulse, then it's always going to be a struggle for them. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, I, I think that it's easy, especially in the world that we live in today, when you're watching people, you know, sort of create these amazing things without really seeing what goes into it and assume that you want that. And, 
you know, you can find yourself doing work that you hate before you know it. Right. And, and let's be honest too, even in the most creative of fields, there's a good chunk of work that isn't that fun. (laughs) There's nothing more fun than that initial impulse where the idea strikes and you can't get it down on paper fast enough. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what we're always chasing, I think, as creatives. But the, the truth is there's a ton of hard work between those moments and, and you have to have a realistic understanding of that going into anything. You know, I, photography is something that I think a lot of people dream about doing. You know, people with maybe jobs in, in very different fields than an art field, you know, I think photography is one of those things. People have phones, they have Instagram accounts, and, and it's, such, it's this solitary pursuit. And when you find a picture and you make it and it turns on all those you know, sparks in your brain visually. And for some reason that photograph speaks to you, that is a, that's a really fun thing. And uh, uh, photography is one of those things, especially in the last four or five years that a lot of people I have observed gravitate towards as, boy, wouldn't that be a great life? But, you know, the reality for, of doing it as a profession is a very different thing. You know, there's, there's, a few moments a week where you have that that feeling when you when you make that picture, but ninety eight percent of it is is a lot of hard work and and a lot of you know a lot of stuff that seems like any other kind of job. So that's another aspect that I think a lot of people don't understand is that being creative in an impulsive way and following your gut or responding to something that strikes you that's art, but doing it consistently and having to create art on a schedule and, and on a consistent basis, that's, that's a learned skill and a business and, and a whole different skill set. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, after 500 episodes, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, like I like the, having the conversation we're having, but do I like writing up show notes and editing and all the other stuff that comes after this? Not necessarily. Right. So, you know, I think that actually makes a perfect setup to to talk a bit sort of about your own journey and, and sort of the challenges of, of a career in entertainment or any creative career, because it seems to me that the common thread I find between almost every single person that I've had on the show, and even the people that I hear you interview, is some period of struggle before they actually get to a point where their career starts to thrive. And I'd be really interested in kind of hearing about your journey from that perspective, some of the challenges and some of the lessons that you've brought from that into the work that you do today? Well, uh, to be clear, I think it's still a struggle. I think that, you know, life is, people always say life is short, but life is long when it comes to the idea that from when you graduate college or high school and you have this span of time where you're you're working for 50 or 60 years uh, if you're lucky and to be in a creative field and keep reinventing yourself and keep being relevant and keep finding ways to to you know either create work or get hired or whatever it is you do um that that's a continual challenge and a continual struggle. And, and we are, as a society, facing a revolution technology 
technologically speaking, a revolution that um, a generation before me never had to deal with. I think about um, you know a guy like Irving Penn or Richard Avedon or some of these photographers that that came up uh, pre-war and then worked through the '80s um, or maybe even into the '90s that the first picture they ever took and printed and the last picture they ever took and printed, it was the same process. They shot on film, they developed, they printed, and that's how they worked. And they, and they sort of never disrupted their process. And we're in a time now in society where, or in history, where our process is disrupted over and over and over again. And just when we get a handle on, on a new way that we have to create our art, something different comes along. And, and that is a, is a major challenge that people, you know, a good portion of people didn't have to deal with. You know, when you think about a musician, think about someone like, I don't know, Paul McCartney, uh, the lion's share of his career, he never had to deal with Spotify or YouTube or giving away his album or seeing it pirated. It, the system sort of worked the same throughout his career. And I'm not saying that's good or bad, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but you can get used to working one sort of way. And to me, I, I ultimately think it's a positive because I think that it's a stimulating thing creatively to, to have to learn new methods or new processes and, and you know, get creatively inspired out of those situations. But it is, it is a struggle to to make those changes and make them in a way that you can retain your ability to work and be valuable to people through your work. You know, I, as a, as a young photographer, I think my struggles were the same as, as anyone back then, which is how do you get people to see the work? And I think that, um, it's the same problem now, but it's less a problem of transportation and more a problem of, of fatigue and by that I mean it used to be you had to physically get your work in front of people on their desk in a book or in a in a reel. And you had to travel with that work and you had to sit down face to face. And that was a great and very inefficient way to work. Um, I remember being, you know, a 25-year-old photographer flying myself to New York and struggling around the city with this oversized portfolio and trying to get to meetings on time only to find out that I couldn't see the main person because they had overscheduled themselves and I had to drop off the book, which meant I, I would miss the next meeting because I didn't have a book to show. And it, it was incredibly inefficient. But when you made a connection, you made a really strong connection. And some of the people that I originally showed my book to way back then, I still work with today. Um, people like Jody Peckman at Rolling Stone and Susan White at Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you have a you have a, a a different problem, which is it's very easy to send an email to anybody with your work in it, but will they look at it, and will they understand the intent, and will they put a face to the work and start developing a relationship? So those struggles they they change in scope, but they don't change in the fact that that never goes away. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm a writer, so I think about this in terms of developing voice. 
And I guess for me, the question uh, that will lead to a couple of other questions is, as a photographer, when you look through the lens, how do you develop a style? Well, I think a lot of it comes from the kind of work that you admire and, and that you strive to do when you're in your formative years. You know, if, if, if you're a musician and you're playing guitar, you're either going to gravitate towards some jazzy guy or to some classic rock or to some punk rock or some art 70s rock and, and your style is going to be formed out of that and photography is, is similar where you know in photography you have so many genres just like directing film um, and you're going to I guess gravitate towards the, the genres or the styles of the people you admire and, and I think every artist has to go through that phase where they they try to figure out their heroes and and how they do it, and they try to humanize the work enough to see the tricks or to see the 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 technician behind the art, and um, and you know that's that's how I started. But I never was one of these people that came out wanting to have a strong stylistic veneer to my photography. I always gravitated towards the realists. Um, you know, uh, people like Irving Penn and Annie Leibovitz and Ralph Eugene Meteard and Henry Cartier-Bresson and Ansel Adams to some extent because they were letting the subject be the hero of the picture. And, and I think from the beginning of my photography, I've had a strong storytelling aspect to it. And, and this is sort of long-winded, but I think it's important. I started out... Um, on my college newspaper before I was a photographer. I started out as an editorial cartoonist. And for a year, I drew editorial cartoons and came up with, you know, one-liners and and basically single-frame uh, cartoons that told a story. And it was fantastically great uh, education for being a photographer because you learn to tell a story in one frame in a political cartoon. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough that uh, um, that was when Reagan was in office and he was making illegal deals with the Contras <laughs> and doing all kinds of terrible things. And, and there was a lot of, uh, it, the, uh, the field was rich with, uh, with material. So, uh, so I learned, I learned sort of how to tell a story in a photograph and, um, and I, you know, and I've, and from the beginning I photographed a lot of people who were, iconic or famous or artists. And I always felt like they should lead the charge on the style of the picture. In other words, if I was photographing, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of somebody that, that makes this example. But if I was photographing, say, um, one of the friends and I, I would try to think about the, that personality and the way they were seen in the, uh, in the press. Like, say, I remember a shoot I did with Matthew Perry, and, and I tried to incorporate both his public perception and who he really was as a person, rather than saying, okay, you're going to come into my world, and when, when I'm done with you, you're going to look like all the other subjects in my photographs, you know? And, and that's a very different approach than... Um, than a lot of other photographers who, who create a very specific style and, and sort of make their subjects fit into that style. 
And the, the long and short of it is my style itself took a lot longer to develop because I was at the whim of the story I should have been telling or my take on the subject. Mm. So, um, but, you know, over time, of course, a style, a style is developed. And then if your style is strong enough, it becomes your personality and your personality influences your style. And then that goes across all art forms. And I think that what I found out is um, I, I am a realist who I, I also I see a lot of humor in in the veneer of celebrity and and in the just in the comedy of life, I see a lot of humor. I see I see um, I see that most people want to connect with other people and want to feel like they are the same. Like you want to you want to be able to hold your hero up on a pedestal, but you also want to know that that they could be like you, or they could have a conversation with you, or they could connect with you in a certain way, and so. I think my style, whether it's doing off camera and interviewing people or directing a music video or directing a documentary or making a picture, I think I try to get to the core of what a human experience is and, and try to connect that to a specific person. You know, it's funny, you think about this stuff and you realize how hard creativity is to put into words or how hard style is to put into words. But it really, for me, is a connection. I, and I try to find a way in to feeling like I know this person. And then I try to share that visually or in a storytelling way so that anyone looking at the work can also feel that connection. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Wow, I love that. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because I had a feeling this is kind of where the conversation would go based on the interviews that I've heard. <clears throat> so one question I have for you is when you're looking through the lens of a camera and realizing that what you're trying to do is, is tell a story about the person that you're seeing, what are the things that you look for that then translate into the story that you tell? Does that make any sense? Well, are you speaking uh, photographically or, or in, a, in a moving picture directing? I would say photo. How about both, actually? Well, photographically, you know, the interesting about, thing about being a photographer is it's really, a, it, there's a bunch of professions in there. You have to be a technician and sort of a psychologist and a graphic designer and a, uh, a bit of an anatomical specialist. And you have to sort of also manage the expectations of the person in front of the camera and sometimes the people around around that person too. So I could be doing any number of things based on trying to get to the place where the subject feels comfortable enough to be themselves and to forget about the camera. And so my, my goal in a photograph is to strip back all the layers of technology between myself and the subject until the, the camera becomes... Uh, sort of this recording device that is catching this person in in the light that I want to catch them in and in the light that that makes them feel like they're being seen and that could be you know it it, it could be lighting sometimes and it could be it could be the conversation we're having um but I'm always I think trying to get to a place where something in my brain says that's a real moment you know that there's whether or not it's real or fake, it's truthful. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, but, but sometimes you can look at a photograph and there's an expression on the person's face that makes the viewer of that photograph feel like they understand something about them. 
And the truth is, is that it really doesn't matter whether that's what was going on. But I do feel like there are universal pictures that happen occasionally of people where they they give us greater insight into our own human condition. And and I mean, that's obviously on a grand anthemic scale. But But I think as a photographer, what you're looking for is you know, if it's a straight portrait without a concept behind it, you're looking for a connection with somebody that you feel translates. And if it's a, if it's a photograph that is telling a larger story or making a joke or with a concept behind it, then you're looking for the image that does that in the most complete way. You know, the, because in photography, there's a term called pre-visualization. And that's especially important if you're trying to get a concept across. And I sometimes do photographs where there's, uh, you know, sort of a, a larger theme involved. And um, one example I can think of is uh, I photographed Steve Martin walking through a field of banana peels once. And he's got his head up and it's almost like he's, you know, whistle while you work on his way to, you know, someplace. And, and he's not looking at the banana peels and he's not even acknowledging them. And he's just passing through this minefield. And the, the greater concept there was that Steve Martin is a comedian that has avoided the cliches of what a lot of comics go through. You know, the, either the, the quick burn, fade out, you know, big success and big failure or um, y- y falling into shtick or, or end up, you know, ending up being on a sitcom and, and losing your edge or whatever it is that comedians think kills their art and that a lot of them have to deal with. I felt like Steve Martin managed to navigate his career and avoid the cliches of comedy. And the physical representation of that was if he fell on a banana peel and slipped, that would be the photograph where he didn't avoid the cliches of comedy. Mm -hmm. So in a a situation like that, I'll take a – I will draw that cartoon as if I was creating it for my college newspaper. And then it's just a problem to solve and it's it's a matter of – going out and and executing in a way that your entire set and everything you know meets the vision that's in your mind and then bringing Steve Martin in and looking for that moment where he he either meets or exceeds what you thought the picture could be and if he exceeds it that's a that's where a collaboration can make a creative process better and and so when I'm looking through the lens, I'm I'm thinking specifically about the result I want. And in the case of that Steve Martin photo, I'm looking for the moment where I get the feeling that he doesn't have a care in the world, and that these banana peels don't exist for him. And and if he does, and if he does that, the picture will work. So so I guess what I'm trying to say is that is that I'm looking for the result of my pre-visualization, mm-hmm. it's a hard word to say, I'm looking for <laughs> the result of my pre-visualization in a real photograph. And then, and then you know, taking it to uh, directing or interviewing, it's the same thing. You know, you do your homework and you, and you have an idea of, of what you're looking for and then you bring a live human in it and you, and you make adjustments along the way to find this collaboration that was better than it could have ever been in your mind, but still within the range of the, of the thing you're trying to communicate. You know, and, and I think as a photographer, for me, the biggest challenge often is to not have an idea. The biggest challenge is to say, okay, I'm going to take this person into an empty room and we're going to find a picture together. 
And one of the things I've loved about off camera is that there's a photo, uh, there's a photographic element to the, to the show, which is after we do our conversation, we do a photo shoot. And my, my rule for those shoots is to not have any ideas or any concepts or any props or anything that would get in the way of just, you know, a, a straight portrait of this person and, and trying to make a photograph that just, whatever it does, whether it reveals an emotion or, or makes a connection or shows them in a light where they're, where, where they echo the, the themes of the interview. And, and those are the hardest things for me. And, and I think when you get a picture in those situations that you love and that surprises you, though, that's like the greatest joy as a photographer. So I think there's as many answers to that question of what you're looking for through the lens as there are pictures you take. Because if you're, if you're present and you're following the story and, you know, you're shooting humans and not, and not still lifes on a table, then you have to, you have to be aware that you, it's not totally in your control, you know? Does that, does that help answer the question? Oh, yeah. That was poetic. Let I wouldn't ask, go that far. <laughs> oh, I, I thought it was. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, one of the things you talked about was this idea of stripping away the layers that uh, and, and sort of boundaries the technology and, and you know the cameras and the lights and everything create between you and your subject. Do you think that that ability to strip away the layers is isolated only to photography or is it something that can be brought into other art forms like writing, for example? Um, and if so, how? Well, it, it definitely goes into other art forms. Um, you know, uh, I think music is a great example because, um, when you play music with somebody else or several people, um, it, you know, I, I find these art forms incredibly similar and I find that in music you can, by stripping away as much of your own, you know, whatever you bring as your crutch or your, or your, your needs to that song, whether it is your equipment and your pedal board and your guitar or, um, or whatever you think it needs to sound like and, and you can connect with another musician, um, you know, those, those collaborations I find are, when they're simple, they're the best. Uh, when I think about my favorite songs, they're usually the simplest things and they hold up in their most simple form. And, um, and then obviously with off camera, that's our whole goal is to strip away everything. And we film that in a, in a big white room and there's only myself and two other people in the room. Uh, the walls are white and the, uh, you know, there's no set and the cameras are very minimal and, I would say that the most astonishing thing that I found through doing that show is that the the cameras pretty much disappear and the the guests that we have almost uniformly always say that they didn't know the hour went by that quickly and that they sort of forgot there was even cameras rolling on the conversation. And that, you know, that is one of the hardest things to do. And, and I think that it's the goal of any documentarian for sure. You know, I've made a couple music documentaries and 
you can't help when you're making a documentary to think, how am I influencing this room by my presence? And how am I changing what would have happened in this room? And, and how, do I, how do I minimize my presence or, um, or, make, or, or infiltrate myself in the process so deep that my presence stops being a threat or, a, uh, or an anomaly and, and becomes part of the landscape of whatever that story is. Um, so all those things to me are stripping away layers and, and looking for those moments when, and and by the way, I don't mean to say that there's an attempt to make people forget about the camera so you can get them to say something. There's an (laughs) attempt to make people forget about the camera so that they can be their best self and be their most comfortable and, and lose those distractions you know, and photography is probably the best example of that because you've got a big box right in front of your face and mm-hmm. the person feels like they're being scrutinized and picked apart and looked at and, uh, crit- you know, like it's one of the hardest things to do. It's, it's way harder than being in front of, in front of a moving camera uh, because it, it, the whole thing is rather odd. You're, you're not being asked to talk. You're not being asked to perform. You're just sort of there. And, if you can make the camera disappear in those situations, then, you know, that, that's, that's, about as, that's about as hard of a situation as there is. Mm. And it's funny, it took me a long time to learn that, that, that the people that love being on film and acting or being on stage and playing music did not necessarily enjoy the process of being in front of a still camera. Wow. And I, I learned that. I, I started... Uh, uh, occasionally having one of the photo assistants photograph me. And then uh, a couple times I photograph people that are very into photography themselves, uh, actors who, who take it very seriously. And I, I turn it around and I say, okay, photograph me because I want to learn what it feels like and what works and what doesn't. And that's one of the most amazing things, especially if you have an assistant who is already a, a photographer in their own right or on their way to being one. Um, you can learn a ton by going on the other side of the camera about what to do and what not to do as a photographer. And, and that's sort of an essential thing to like see your set from the other side. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you, I learn just as much about interviewing people from being interviewed as I do by doing interviews. Right. I mean, I, I mean, one of the questions I always ask when we have someone on that is say a director and an actor as I say, what did you learn when you came around the other side of the camera to direct? What did you learn about acting? Not what did you learn about directing, but what did you learn about acting? Because I think sometimes it's the most obvious things that, that don't occur to us until – it's that old saying, there's no there's – no, um, uh, how do I say this? There's no replacing experience. You know, you can't – you can't – learn something any better than by doing it. And that is, you know, you can prep and plan and do all your research and, and study, but until you're in the chair and people are looking at you and saying, okay, call action when you're ready or whatever, you know, if you're directing or whatever it is, there's no really understanding it until you do it. And, and that's why I think it's amazing every time, you know, a new, talent emerges because they have to go through that whole rite of passage and um and you know 
experience is amazing. And, and sometimes I think about how, how the fickle business of entertainment can be some of the, sometimes the, the older generation can be pushed out a little bit. And, and I think that that's one of the sad things about American society is, is our obsession with youth because, you know, some of our, some of our greatest directors are in their seventies and eighties and, and that experience. I think even with just with how we sort of take uh, the elderly in our society for granted and, and maybe don't learn from or appreciate the wisdom that comes from someone who's lived for 70 years. Uh, there's just no substituting experience is I guess what I'm trying to say. Hmm. So, you know, I want to ask you one last question uh, about the creative process for off camera and how your interviews come together, because it, one of the things that's been really interesting, you know, for me to observe is it's clear to me that you do a ton of research on your subjects and yet, at the same time, you maintain this beautiful balance of a story that doesn't sound scripted at all and is just this very engaging conversation. So I'm really curious about the process that goes into crafting these stories and how you sort of uncover these major threads. Well, I think that the research is it, its a little misleading because I do a lot of research, but what I'm trying to do is fill my brain up with that person Um as if I'd sort of known them throughout their career. And, and I don't have one of those brains that retains knowledge for, like, I can read a book and then pick that same book up three years ago, three years later, and, and read it again, and, and I feel like it's new to me. I, I, don't, I don't retain details that well. And so when I do my research, I try to have a broad enough knowledge of that person's life that whatever comes up in the conversation, I don't feel like I'm hanging out there in the wind, not being able to keep up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and the other thing I try to do is I try to be prepared because after doing enough of these, I realized like I can plan my narrative out as, as meticulously as possible, but they could take the narrative in a different direction and, uh, you know, to to wrestle it back to where I want it to go is going to be the the antithesis of what I want off camera to be. So there's it's sort of a high wire act. I I try to come up with some themes that I think are really good. Um, I mean, look, it starts from what you're interested in. And if I'm going to watch a bunch of work that someone has done, I'm going to gravitate towards things that, that I'm naturally curious about and I want to know more about. And I try to listen to myself on that. And then I also try to think about, you know, these people as craftsmen and, and, and artisans and, and, you know, in our society, I think when we see a celebrity on television, or an artist, or a musician, or an actor, or a writer, or a director. They're there to entertain us for seven or eight minutes. And, and the entertainment is often around the subject of, look at your fabulous life, tell us more about that, because we don't get to live the fabulous life that you get to live. And it's very entertaining. It's very entertaining to hear how, you know, Brad Pitt spent his summer vacation. I get that. But what I noticed when I started off camera was that these people, actors and musicians especially, are 
doing work that is getting under our skin and sticking with us. I mean, as a human, when you go to a great movie and you have an experience that makes you question yourself and want to live your life more or examine the time you have left or call your brother that you haven't spoken to in years or whatever it is that that movie has an influence on you, it's getting right to the core of who you are as a person. And, and, and that story is moving us. And the actors in that story are moving us. Same thing with a record. If you, if you listen to a song and it speaks to you and you put it on your car and you're driving and all of a sudden you're inspired to finally pick up that script you were writing or that book you were writing or that song you were trying to write or, or the, a letter to your dad or whatever it is, those artists are speaking to you. And then when, when they are on camera not doing their work, you know, whether they're on David Letterman or whether they're sitting down with Ellen or uh, wherever it may be or a magazine profile, I don't think these people are being, uh, they're not being held up to the light as craftsmen necessarily, as craftspeople. Mm -hmm. And yet their abilities are and their skills are such that they are moving us in mass as a society, you know, I'm sure that anyone who loved the Sopranos had a very personal relationship in their head with, with James Gandolfini's character for many years. And, and that's a skill. And, and I love sitting and talking about their, their work as, as in terms of how they do it, what they've learned about it, you know, how they, just like, just like, you know, if you got to go into the workshop of a violin maker and really see what goes into making a violin and and how this person can do this when hardly anybody can and, and what drives them and, and why they like doing this over other things and what they learn about themselves and how their how their life has changed since they started making violins to now and and how it relates to the bigger picture. And, you know, whatever it is, it's like, there's there's fascinating raw material in in somebody who has really developed their craft and you don't really see a lot of that out there especially now with with our our short little soundbite world and and I think it's valuable so um and from a completely selfish standpoint uh there's a lot of questions in each one of my conversations completely based on things that I want to know and I want to learn so that I can incorporate them into my own life. And again, that goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, which is you have to start from a place of, of insp inspiration and, and a gut feeling that this is something that, that gets under your skin and excites you. Wow. I think that makes a, a really sort of beautiful way for us to come full circle and, and wrap up the conversation. Uh, you know, I've, I've been such a big fan of, of what you do. I mean, like I said, you're one of the few interview based podcasts I listen to just because I like the style of what you do so much. Uh, so I want to close with a one final question, which is how we finish everything here at the unmistakable creative. Um, you've kind of had a front row seat to probably some of the most brilliant craftspeople and artists and artisans, uh, to ever sort of walk the face of earth. And I'm curious really to hear your perspective on this. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Well, I can tell you that it seems like there is an unshakable knowledge deep down inside of each of these people that this is what they're going to do. 
And I'll relate a story that Matt Damon told to me that really, really struck a chord for me, not only as a creative, uh, but as a father, you know, and he said, he said, you, the first thing that I do when someone comes to me and says they want to be an actor is I try to talk them out of doing it. <laughs> and, and, and I said, would that hold, I think I said, would that hold true for your, for your own kids? And he said, absolutely. Because, um, if you can talk someone out of something that they're interested in doing in one conversation, then they're never going to be able to make it anyway. And w- the thing it takes to be able to have the stomach for this kind of life where, you know, I was thinking about this, like most people in life maybe go through six or seven job interviews their whole life. Um, and yet uh, a creative freelance person goes through, can go through that many in a week or a day. And you have to have a strong stomach to, to take on as your principal form of employment and sustenance a a business that will not only challenge you in in ways that that uh, are unimaginable when you start, but also in 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 ways that attack your confidence and your self esteem. So, I think the one common thing that I've noticed from everybody who who I really admire is that they had this burning desire to do it from a very young age, and, and some are incredibly focused on one thing. I mean, you could certainly say that a guy like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant um, is the perfect example of somebody who put everything else, every other interest aside in life because they so desired to play basketball. And, and I don't care what anyone says, how hard anyone works or whatever. You have to love it to do it on that level at, at the exclusion of everything else in your life. And and you know my story is different. I I have a hundred things that I love, but I I think that the common thread there is the process and the and the creative spark that runs through all those things I love. That is actually quite similar with just a different you know tangible result at the end, whether it's a a drawing or a a song or a uh, a documentary or whatever it is. Um, but but yeah, I think I think that. If, if, if that's inside you, you know it really early. And, and at that point, you know, I, I, as, a, as a father, I think about this a lot. When you, you know, there's that big question in my mind is, is that how, how deeply does that thing have to be in you so that it, it doesn't get kicked out of you by, you know, society or, or by peer groups or, or by fear, or, or by somebody telling you that, you know, I'm sure there's, I'm sure law firms are littered with very creative people that just didn't have the, whatever it took to believe in themselves or, or, or whatever. And, and, uh, you know, it, but, but that, I don't know if that contradicts what I said about, about knowing, you know, knowing that that's your path. But, you know, as it, like I said, as a father, looking at my kids um you just wonder how much of it is nurture and how much of it is nature and and we really don't have any control i guess over where we end up but if we if we believe in ourselves enough to follow the thing we love to do um you know there that's that's the start of it i guess and the and the people that do it on the highest level i think found that out really early and stuck with it wow <clears throat> 
Well, Sam, uh, I have to say this has been really, really eye-opening and inspiring. Uh, oh, thank you. And I mean, you just packed it with nuggets. It's, I, I love conversations like this because to me, this is the ultimate compass. It's the furthest thing from a map. You've given us a lot of things to think about as opposed to telling us things to do. And it's these conversations that I feel lead to a lot of creative breakthroughs for people. So I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share your story and your journey uh, you know, with our listeners here at Unmistakable Creative. Well, I appreciate it. You had, you had some great questions and, uh, and I'm, I'm happy that you're listening to the show and, and uh, you know, hopefully people continue to find out about it because uh, it's a lot of work to produce. Yeah. And for those of you listening, I will link up uh, some of the episodes from off camera that are my personal favorites. Uh, You know, I can't recommend it highly enough as far as interview based show goes. And we will wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to the unmistakable creative. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.